Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let us worship the Lord our God. back to dust and say turn back you mortals for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past or like a watch in the night
Almighty and Eternal God. From the beginning, you have never been silent, alone, aloof from your creation. You have always been our eloquent God, ever speaking a strong and redemptive word to us. In Jesus Christ, your eternal word became flesh like us and lived among us, sharing our joys, our sorrows, our life, and even our death. In him we hear your final word to us, your yes to your entire creation. In him also we hear our own amen and amen, returning to you in thanksgiving and in prayer. Even now, in Holy Spirit, you invite us also to break our silence and to speak. You invite us to speak to you in worship, in prayer, in praise. You invite us to speak to one another with words of comfort and condolence and encouragement and challenge and hope. As you have invited us, so now inspire us so that in all that we say and do, we echo and repeat the blessing you have already pronounced upon the world and all of your creation in the name of the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, saying, Amen, and Amen, and Amen. Grace and peace to you, and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those gathered here in our sanctuary and those worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of the Lord. And because it is in the name of the Lord that we have gathered, that means that our word of welcome is extended with absolutely no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in Christ's house, and therefore all are welcome here. We do ask everyone, members and guests alike, please to sign the friendship pad. You'll find that on your pew. Please sign it even if you are the only person on your pew because that is our means of contact tracing in case we need to contact you and let you know anything about COVID or anything related to that. Uh, I'd also like to invite you to a time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door to my right and down a very short ramp. There you will find that our deacons have prepared some light refreshments, but most importantly, the opportunity for us to engage with one another deeply as a community of faith. I'd like to highlight just a couple things out of the announcements portion of your bulletin and a couple that are not in the announcements portion of your bulletin. The first is to note that next Sunday evening or next Sunday afternoon, we will have our final service of choral evensong before our summer break. It'll resume again in the fall, but next Sunday at four o'clock here in the sanctuary, we will have a service of choral evensong. Also, I'd like to note that there will be a very special fellowship hour next Sunday as we give Andrew Sin a belated 15th anniversary celebration. So we look forward to sharing that celebration with Andrew and his family next Sunday following this service in Old Buttonwood Hall. Also, <clears throat> excuse me, our new members class had to be rescheduled last week, and so for anyone who is ready to join the church, whether you've been with us a short time or a long time, you have a second chance at that new members class. Just contact me and let me know so that I can include you on the list for that so that we can get that scheduled at a time that is convenient for everyone so that we can go ahead and receive folks into the membership of the church that wish to be received into the membership of the church. 
And finally, on a personal note, I do see a few of you eyeing my fancy footwear. And I would just note that as your pastor, I would be remiss if I didn't remind you that the Tenth Commandment prohibits coveting. So if you want one of your own, I'll tell you exactly how to get one. I don't recommend the experience, though. Uh, uh, all joking aside, I had to have some unexpected surgery last week. The recovery will be about five to seven weeks. And so during that time, I will not be able to greet you in the narthex. It's, I'm not terribly uncomfortable, but I am very awkward in my movement. So that's a bit of a stretch to walk. So I will look forward to greeting you at the front of the church following worship anytime you'd like to speak. And of course, anytime you'd like to catch up with me, you can just give me a call. But with that being said, I do want to thank everyone for their kind expressions of care and concern over the last week or so as I've been recovering. With all of these things noted, let us continue to worship God now with our confession of sin. As we prepare our hearts and our spirits to hear the word of God for us, we remember that we are mere flesh. We remember we are not perfect. Let us join our hearts and our minds together with the psalmist as the psalmist considers the frailty of our humanity. Our prayer of confession is based on Psalm 139. We'll say it in unison. Eternal God, where can I go from your spirit? If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I make the wings of the morning and settle in the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your heart hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and night wraps itself around me, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. Darkness is light to me. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and I know them very well. Forgive us our sins, we pray, for Jesus' sake. these words from scripture the son of god jesus christ proclaimed by us is not an ambiguous blend of yes and no with christ it was and is always yes christ is the yes pronounced upon all of god's promises every one of them that is why when we give glory to god it is through christ that we say amen People of the good news, believe the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
first lesson for this morning is taken from the last chapter of the Revelation. Indeed, the last verses of the Revelation. For a book that has a reputation for being scary, listen to the word of invitation that comes to us from here. Jesus speaks. See, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay according to everyone's work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who have washed their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by its gates. It is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, that bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And everyone who hears says, come. Let everyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes to take the water of life as a gift. The one who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. And from that, those words of closing and farewell, these words of closing and farewell from Jesus himself as he speaks to his disciples that last night. Jesus prays to God, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, so that they may be one, as we are one. I in them and you in me, and they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory which you have given to me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Here ends the lesson.
final lesson is taken from the book of Habakkuk, the first chapter, the first four verses, and then the second chapter, the first four verses. Continue to listen to the word of God to us this day. The oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law becomes slack, and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous, therefore judgment comes forth perverted. I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that a runner may see it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, I need you to say a prayer 
for whatever it is you do these days. Now, I was her pastor for nearly 10 years, so she knows perfectly well what I do these days. The phrasing of her request, more than anything, probably pointed to a fear that prayer doesn't really matter very much. But anyway, she went on, I need you to say a prayer because his younger brother, whom I did have in my kindergarten class, has cancer, and it's not a very good prognosis. And she went on, I can't imagine what it must be like to be a doctor and to be able to help everybody else and not to be able to help your baby brother. And I agreed that not being able to help a family member who is sick or wounded or dying is indeed one of the hardest things we can imagine. And so it is. It tends to provoke questions that do not have easy answers. Here's another story. Twenty years ago, I was sitting with the associate pastor nominating committee in the parlor of a church that I would come to serve for nearly nine years. And the question was put to me, what do you say to the person who wants to know why something bad has happened to them? Now, as it happened, just before this interview, I had been engaged in a conversation that honestly went spectacularly badly. Sally was her name, and she asked me a similar theological question about bad things happening, and I knew that bad things were happening to her in that moment, but I gave her a theological answer. Indeed, I gave her a good and thorough theological answer. Then she proceeded to tell me precisely why she felt I was wrong in ways that would have made my theology professors cringe. Later, when I talked to my boss about it, he said, do you really think that's what she needed to hear from you in that moment? Well, that's what she asked, I replied. And Bill went on. Just think about what someone with bad news really needs to hear. So later I said to her, Sally, there really isn't a good answer to the question of human suffering. I could try to give you an answer, but what I have come to believe is that what folks really need when they ask the question of why bad things have happened is to know that God is not done with them or their situation. They want to know that God will be with them no matter what. And that's the truth. God will. But it's also true that there won't ever be a satisfactory answer to the question, why? So, from the vantage point of learned wisdom, I answered the question. To have questions in our hardest moments 
is to be human. It is to recognize that there are things we simply can't understand, and at the same time to want to know that life is not, in the words from Macbeth, a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. No, to be human is to want meaning in our hardest times. And seeking God in our hardest moments is part of the relationship. Asking God questions is part of the relationship. Think of the way the Old Testament prophets cross-examined God. Real relationships require honesty. Otherwise, the relationship is a mile wide and an inch deep. To have a relationship with God requires honesty about our feelings, about our questions. It is to be able to ask God your hardest questions. It is to be able to bring to God our most rending lament. That is what is happening in our text today from Habakkuk. Habakkuk wrote during the Babylonian captivity, which is the second time that the Israelites were enslaved. You may remember the story. In the book of Exodus, God saved the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and led them forth into the promised land. Then, after several hundred years, they were overrun by their enemies and enslaved again. The Old Testament is the unfolding of the story of all the ways that God was present with the people of Israel in that first period of enslavement through their time of freedom and then in the second period of enslavement. A lot of our Bible comes from the experience of enslavement. Think of it this way. If our Bible had been written in the American South by enslaved people in their suffering, what questions might it ask? Wouldn't it ask, how long, O oh Lord? Couldn't it ask, don't you hear us, O oh Lord? And shouldn't it ask, why is this happening, O oh Lord? Now, can you imagine if how our Bible might read if it were written by those who lost loved ones to gun violence this week in Texas or in Buffalo and California last week? How long? O oh Lord, what will it take, O oh Lord? Those are exactly the same questions that Habakkuk asked of God. Taking the worst moments of life to God is part of the relationship. It's what it means to have a relationship with God. But the late Dr. Lloyd Ogilvy writes, the aching problem, both inside and outside of the church, is 
agnosticism. Many people just don't know what they think or believe in response to the awesome questions of life. Most of them are afraid to ask hard questions. And even more frightened, they might be asked by someone else and unable to answer. At the same time, they are troubled by easy answers and pat phrases that do not stand up to authentic spiritual and intellectual honesty. Click words, esoteric jargon, and flip theories do not satisfy when life falls apart or tragedy strikes. Some of the issues of life yield questions whose answers won't be very satisfying. There's something about asking God questions whose answers might very well come from us instead that doesn't yield much in the way of theological insight. There are moments when we want to ask God the questions because we don't want to face up to the answers that we might find. And putting it off onto the divine seems somehow to absolve us of the responsibility to ask the questions of ourselves. But to seek to bring our hardest moments to God, to live in the questions that trouble us in life, is nonetheless what it is to be the church. And so it is from a vantage point of deep and abiding relationship with one another, as well as with God, that we entrust the hurts of our hearts and indeed of our world to the God who loves us. That's what it is to be church. And when we have done that, what then? Pay attention to the sequence from Habakkuk. First, the prophet asks the questions of faith. How long, O Lord, will we complain without you listening? And then Habakkuk waits. Habakkuk listens. One scholar wrote of this scripture, There is no wisdom in the world that can find the ways of God. If we search only nature's working or history's lessons for proof of the divine activity, Apart from their interpretation by the word of God, we will end up despairing of God's interest in this world and in us, or we will become cynically convinced that God does nothing at all. To abdicate from the problems of life, or to throw up our hands in despair, won't lead us to a deep faith. It won't lead us to the faith that can wrestle with the hardest questions of life. At best, such spiritual dabbling leaves us bereft of meaning. At worst, it gives us up to cynicism and despair. And neither of those is what God wants for us in the hardest moments of life. No shallow engagement in a life of faith can't yield answers of faith. It won't yield answers of faith. Shallow engagement in the issues of life won't allow us to have a deep relationship with one another, the sort of relationship where we are there for one another, where we can ask our questions and listen to the witness of faith from one another. And it certainly won't give us 
the sort of relationship we need with God, the sort of relationship that carries us in our worst moments. No, depth, depth takes work. Depth comes with time and exposure. Think, if you will, for a moment of a river. When there is more water than can be contained in the channel, the river has run, it overflows its banks, and it spreads out. It is wide, but it is not deep. But over time, the same river running in its course year upon year carves out space for the water, and it runs deep. The same is true of faith and of our life together. A splattering of intense feeling concentrated at one time without the chance for the experience to carve deeply into our lives will not yield the environment where we are equipped to take on the hardest moments of life. Faith, like the river, takes time and exposure. Depth, depthful community, comes as a result of our year in, year out, life together. Ogilvy says that 75% of taking your hardest questions to God is listening. It's listening to stories. It's listening to your life. It's listening for the subterranean movements of God that we sometimes only recognize as the action of God in hindsight. Sometimes life slams us into God. Something hits us that we didn't see coming, and it knocks us winding, and God is what we grab hold of to steady ourselves. At least Kierkegaard said something like that. And we may find ourselves wondering, why hasn't God done something about the pain of loss the pain of life cut off from its future, the pain of a love whose object has fallen. And the simple truth, and it, and it is simple, is that God has done something. God has given us God's very own self, and God has given us each other. In our hardest moments, we need God, and we have God. And in our hardest moments, we need each other, and God has given us each other. You know, about those toughest questions of faith, the late William Sloan Coffin reminds us that God provides us with maximum support and minimum control. So what is God doing about the problem of human tragedy? God has given us God's self. And God has given us each other. It is as I said a few weeks ago, what if we are waiting on God? But God is waiting on us. Now lest we lose the good news, let me be very clear about this. God is the source of all justice. God is the source of all redemption. And God is the source of all of our hope. Nothing will ever change that. 
nothing. And God invites us to join in God's work of justice, of redemption, and of hope. All of these remembered voices, all of these remembered stories, all of our stories together share with us the word of God so that if we are listening, God gives us what we need to be God's people in the world in our hardest moments, sometimes through the voice of God's people. Now there are questions in some cases whose answers must come from God, and for those answers we wait with good courage. But there are other cases where the answers can come from us, from bringing our common life to bear on the common good. And that is, after all, what we promise in baptism. We celebrated baptism last week, the 9 o'clock service, and that is what the gathered body in that service promised on their behalf and on your behalf. We promise together to be the place to deal with the hardest moments of life, to seek healing, to seek comfort. That's our promise. I have never forgotten the time I was leaving my office, years ago, different church, after a really, really hard day. Two members of the church were going at it hammer and tongs, and they wanted me to adjudicate, because that's always fun, and I was tired of it. And I knew that I probably would have to say something in the end, and somebody was going to be mad, and the fact of that was weighing heavily on me that day. As I walked out of my office, it was just the right time of day that I could walk the older children from the playground down to their choir rehearsal. And while we were walking down the stairs, I could hear what the younger children were learning in children's choir. They were singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, that's the whole gospel wrapped up right there. Indeed, the, the great theologian Karl Barth once noted in an interview near the end of his life, he was asked, what was the single greatest theological insight he had ever had? And that was his answer. Jesus loves me. This I know. And in that moment, with, with what felt like the time, the weight of the world, that was what I needed to hear. Because contained in those few words were the depths of our Bible, of all of our confessions, of the whole witness of the church. The children's words sang comfort into my heart. Now, we could, as a community of faith, just skim across the surface of that if we wanted to. Or, we could plumb the depth of what that love means to us and what that love demands from us. Because that is, after all, the promise of baptism. 
that we will be the community of the people of God where the children of God can bring their hardest moments, their deepest loss, their most profound pain, and find comfort of a true and lasting nature. We also promise to engage in meaningful work for the redemption of the world. God knows that life can be hard. And God knows these past weeks have been hard. As Zora Neale Hurston once noted, there are years that ask questions and there are years that answer them. But through it all, we are the Church of Jesus Christ. And through our life together, we have a word from the Lord for a hurting world. Jesus loves me, this I know. That's the whole gospel for this moment. So join in God's work of redemption for Jesus' sake. Join in God's work of redemption for the children. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
have joined our voices in praising God, let us now also join our voices in remembering who God is. People, what do we believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. These are the words of Paul. Give as you have made up your own minds, not reluctantly or under any compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The morning's offering will now be received. If you wish, you may bring a token here to our plates or while your contributions online but in all ways, remember the bounty you have been given as you give to God.
These are the words of the psalmist, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, forbearing and constant in love. The Lord is good to all, and God's tender care rests upon all creatures. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, from the very beginning you have loved us. You made our world to be a place where we might stand responsibly before you, live our lives in relation with you, and share your glory as covenant partners in your new creation. Even when we had turned away, you preferred not to stand alone or leave us living alone. And you have sought us out to share again your glory with us. You did not turn away from us, but rather came and rescued us. You came to us in Jesus Christ. In him you stood with us in our broken humanity. In him you took responsibility for the ruin we had made of the world and of our own lives. In him we saw your glory in a human face and heard your invitation to stand up, to walk, and be healed in body and mind and soul. In him we saw your love perfected as he gave himself for us in order that he might give ourselves back to us, ransomed, rescued, and made new for his sake. So even now you continue to show your love for us. Even now you do not leave us on our own. But rather in Holy Spirit you come to us to renew us, to correct us, to restore us when we wander. You continue to teach us Comfort us and sustain us as we labor for charity and justice. You continue to invite us to live with hope for tomorrow and to seek your will in each new venture and to join our small efforts with your own great majestic work for the ransom, the repair, and the reclamation of the world. You who have labored so long to save us, we pray this day that you will sustain us all the more. We face personal illness. We face death. We know of financial hardship and anxiety and insecurity and doubt. There is much in our lives as we must live them that frighten us. There is much in our lives that anger us. We live in a world where virtue is not readily recognized, where hard work is not regularly rewarded, where good character and loyal service seem to count for very little, where hard work for justice seems to end up trashed and mocked and disregarded. There is much that we much must endure which is insulting, demeaning, 
unjust, so unfair. So, Almighty God, we pray to you, if it be your will, bring healing and deliverance to us. Rescue us. Rescue our relationships, our communities, and our world. Give us patience where there is nothing to be done. But give us wisdom to see if there is anything that can be done. Stir us to action when mercy and justice can be served. Save us from indifference or cynicism or despair. Safeguard us against all narrow selfishness, bigotry, greed, or cruelty. Teach us each day the paths in which we should go, and grant us the wisdom we need to keep to them. And most of all, give us the faith and hope and love we need each day to keep on moving, to keep on hoping, to keep on loving, to keep on laughing, to keep on working and praying that thy kingdom come. We pray this day for the sick and for the suffering. Especially this day, we pray for those who grieve. We pray for those who wait in suspense for news of their loved ones. We pray, as always, for all victims, those of crime, abuse, violence, neglect, and vice. We pray, as always, for all civil governments, that they might do what you have charged them to do, to do justice and love mercy. We pray for all who risk their lives in our defense, who risk their freedom and safety to do justice and speak truth, who risk derision and ridicule, arrest and persecution, to speak what needs to be said to authorities, principalities, and powers. We pray for your church, that it might continue to proclaim the rule of your love and justice in the world and the hope for all humanity, which is to be found in you. We pray for the future, which you unfold for us each day. We pray for our children, where we see our future unfolding before us each day. Merciful, gracious, and loving God, through the renewal of your Holy Spirit, make us worthy of the glory you are preparing. And make us a part of the work that you are even now working in the world for the sake and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who when he was with us taught us to pray. 
saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
this is the last Sunday of Eastertide. Next week we will celebrate Pentecost, and then from there we will begin to count the ordinary Sundays until we return in December to Advent, and we do the whole thing over again. The cycle of the church's life is ordered thus, so that we always return year after year to that ultimate expression of God's answer to the question of human tragedy, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in whose resurrection lies the hope of our own. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and to those you love and give you peace, both this day and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.